Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and today I am going solo, and I'm going to talk to you about LCI and what we have planned for the year 2020. And so if you are new to the podcast, if this is one of your earlier episodes or maybe your first episode, I encourage you to listen to the over 150 episodes that we have prior to this. If not, this is actually a really good place to start because we're going to talk about human flourishing and the theme that LCI has chosen for this year. So I'll just kind of back up and talk to you uh, some things that are on my mind about our new theme, which is called Live Free and Flourish. So earlier this past year, in 2019, at LCI, we began thinking about what does it mean to promote liberty, and how is it that libertarians, especially libertarian Christians, can promote liberty going forward? Now, I, th- I really strongly believe that how we promote liberty really matters. The kinds of argumentation that happened 200 years ago, 300 years ago, even 100 or even 60 years ago, doesn't work today. Uh, Quoting the founding fathers, as wise as they were about things regarding liberty and tyranny, uh, doesn't always work today. People are kind of like, why should I care what some guy who lived three centuries ago believed? Because he doesn't know my world today. He doesn't have the same concerns. He couldn't even imagine the world I lived in today. So while there's a lot of wise things to repeat from the founding fathers, it may not always be the best approach in communicating to, say, a progressive. Might help somebody who's more of a conservative, kind of, you know, reveres the founding fathers. At the same time, it's not always going to work on everybody. Even things like from like 40, 50, 60 years ago doesn't work today. I think many libertarians would look at some of the things said by Martin Luther King Jr. and say, wow, that sounds really libertarian. But if you kind of repeated what he said today to, say, a modern-day progressive, they might say that, oh, you know, they may not not resonate with them, even though they may not know that it's somebody that they revere who actually said it. And so I think regardless of what arguments we use to promote liberty, and I think we need to be constantly thinking about repeating the arguments that are good in ways that will convince people, and in order to do that, they have to actually resonate with those people. So you can spend a lot of time talking to somebody who doesn't care about wiretapping because they may be like, eh, that doesn't appeal to me. So obviously you're going to switch your case a little bit. And so we also need to start with a certain kind of principles. Now, I believe that when we start with the topic of human flourishing, right now, in terms of our national conversation, in terms of the kinds of things that are likely to reach people. I think human flourishing is possibly the best way to communicate that message of peace because it starts by stating what we are for. It starts with an end goal in mind. Now, what are libertarians for? Thing is, you libertarians are usually defined by what we are against. We're not, we're known for being against 
the state. We're known as being anti-government. And some people might even go as far to say we're, we're anti-education, we're anti-social security, we're anti-this, we're anti-that, because we're against so many things that are what I might call idols of their mental apparatus of what it means to have a functioning and civil society. But we're more than just against things worth being against. We actually are in favor of things. And so for us to advocate things like, you know, like by wearing a t-shirt that says, don't tread on me, you know, there, there is an implication there is that we believe that no one should be tread upon, the poor, the people who are on the margins, the people who don't have a political voice. We believe that those who are wealthy and powerful shouldn't be able to buy that power through the means of the state. And so we can actively, and libertarians are doing this. I'm not by any means saying that we don't do this, but libertarians are actively promoting things that we ought to be for. And alongside the things that we are, uh, of course, against. But I think libertarianism and libertarians in general get a little bit of a bad rap because we complain a lot. We have a lot of things that we want to say, hey, this is wrong. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, of course. But what we also need to do is kind of go that, I would say, one step forward and say, well, what, what kind of a world are we envisioning here? And I owe a lot of the mental attitude, you know, sort of heart posture toward the libertarian ethos to Jeffrey Tucker. I, you know, early becoming a libertarian decade, decade and a half ago, man, I feel like I'm getting old just saying that out loud because uh, it just feels like very rapid amount of time that I feel like I'm not a libertarian for very long in my life, but I guess I have been. So, you know, I think back to when I was becoming a libertarian and if it weren't for someone like Jeffrey Tucker, looking at the world of choice, looking at the world of innovation and actively promoting and saying, look at all these things that we can be excited about. It's almost like, I would have been just kind of discouraged and I would have been, I don't know, disgruntled without this sort of like, no, nah, there's something more there. I mean, it's easy to be disgruntled about all the things wrong in the world. I mean, if you take a look at the left for the last two years or for that matter, for a long time, but, you know, they are just simply upset at wealth inequality or they are upset at climate change or they are upset at whatever. And there doesn't seem to be any appreciation for the progress that we've made. And we're actually going to talk about that on our podcast is the progress that has been made in human flourishing, the progress that has been made in, in innovation and technology and climate and like the poor. We're going to talk about that in a future episode. So we're going to have some guests on to discuss human progress. But human flourishing is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And I think it's very disconcerting to me because when you bring up, here's what's happening in the world, or when you bring up, here's what I want to see in the world, most people think that there's some sort of plan involved. And it means that things have to be orchestrated and sort of controlled. And sometimes it means electing the right people and having, you know, institutions that force people to do certain things or, you know, whatever. I mean, you can imagine any Hollywood uh, star saying, well, we just need to make sure that people do such and such, you know get rid of their plastic straws or, you know, we just need to enforce recycling and just make it mandatory. And we just need to, you know, legislate these things and then we'll have some sort of civil society that has progress. Well, I think libertarians know that without a baseline of freedom, without the default that humans should be free, we're not even ever going to get to human flourishing. So we'll get, we'll get to that part here in a few moments. 
But I think it's really important for us as Christian libertarians to realize that promoting liberty is more than just being a prophetic voice against domination and tyranny. It is a proactive peace movement toward human flourishing. I think we need to become more known for what we're aiming for, our ultimate goals, instead of just being the people who complain. Now, both are necessary, don't get me wrong. But we need to do more than just resist the corrupt powers and institutionalize evil. We need to have a willful embrace of the elements of life that bring meaning, civility, and genuine peace to those who, who we can reach. So we need to be known by what we are for. So we, you know, we often say things like, you know, the ends don't justify the means. Okay, that's great. It's really, really important. We always need to be talking about that. That needs to be part of almost every conversation. But what are the ends? I think there's a lot of connection with progressives and even conservatives to talk about what are the ends to which we are aiming for. And if we were to summarize what those are, I think that comes down to what we would call human flourishing. So let's talk about what is human flourishing, because I think we all may have a different definition of what it means. We all actually may just like communicate it a little bit differently. But I would say it this way. Human flourishing is a state at which humans are functioning in their optimal range. So if I am personally functioning in a way that leads to maybe efficiency, optimization, happiness, meaningfulness in what I do, what I say, what I receive, compensation, all kinds of things that come into what are inputs into my life, then you could say that I am personally flourishing. Okay, so what does that mean for groups? Well, you could think of things like your church and ask yourself, well, what would it look like for our church to flourish? It means that you're meeting regularly. It means that you're meeting the needs of those who are in your community. It means you're outreaching to those through evangelism, serving the needs like the physical and spiritual and emotional needs of those who are, are in need, like whether it's the poor, refugees, or just, you know, people in your community who have, you know, even random needs, you know, people who... Uh, may not be considered poor per se, but have needs that they can't afford. So there, there's one way. Um, I would also add, of course, that the the word of God is preached and that people are growing spiritually and that they are being fed and nourished. Uh, so okay, so that's a that's a church flourishing. What about a community? You might say that the measurements of human flourishing in a community could be that there's low crime, there's high education rates, forget how the education happens for the moment, but there's things like high education rates, maybe there's a functioning market in all kinds of things that people want to do. There's high employment in that community. And again, I'm thinking my community of maybe a couple you know, like 10,000 or so or whatever, um, it could mean that you expand that even further and you think about your county or you think about you know, your state, or you think about your country. I mean, you can expand this in a number of ways. And when we think about human flourishing, we think, well, we want that for, for everybody. We want communities to flourish. We want markets to flourish. We want individuals to flourish. And whatever it is that we're doing as libertarians, we are to be promoting human flourishing, okay? So to think about human flourishing, you want to think about it from an individual perspective and then from the communitarian perspective. So individuals need to flourish, and we are we seek to maximize flourishing. 
Um, you know, economists get a bad rap for thinking of individuals as, you know, just economic agents. And obviously that's true. They are those things. But we're not just trying to maximize our utility, okay? We are trying to improve our lives. And for many of us, and actually I would even say for all of us, because you can't really only be about yourself, for many of us, for all of us, we seek to maximize the flourishing of those around us. Now, it might not, we may not have individually a large circle of what, what I just meant by those around us. We might just mean our family. I personally, bare minimum, want my children to flourish. I want my wife to flourish. I want my family, my immediate family, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces. I've got great nieces and nephews now. I want them to flourish. And things that I do, especially for my immediate family, like my children and my, my wife, I want them to flourish. And so my choices influence their flourishing and has an effect on their flourishing. I also want my local market to flourish. Now, there's a lot of markets in my area. So whatever that means for you, whatever you can imagine as the market that you operate in or the markets you operate in, whether it's your vocation, whether it's where you buy things. So you could you go to Best Buy, you go to Home Depot, you go to Costco, you go to Amazon, you go to Walmart, you go to the grocery store, you go to all those different places. And there's like, gosh, there's like more than a dozen markets that we can be talking about there. And so we want to see those flourish because if those don't flourish, then other people in our community can't flourish. And I don't necessarily mean just the profit margins of those, those institutions. I'm talking about the workers. I'm talking about the people who shop there. There are a lot of aspects to human flourishing that are not necessarily financial directly. Obviously, I'm going to be talking about human flourishing here. It's not only about maximizing financial flourishing. So communities need to flourish and, you know, we need to maximize that flourishing in certain ways. And so there are ways to do this that are helpful and there are ways to do this that are unhelpful. Well, obviously, libertarians know this. We are adamantly against the things that are unhelpful to the flourishing of society. And so that's why a libertarian should care about flourishing. We're, we care about it because for like a self-interested reason, we're goal-maximizing individuals. We're also into promoting human flourishing because there's a common good reason. We want others to do well and prosper also. And then possibly my favorite for now, at least in terms of communicating what I want to communicate here, there's a rhetorical reason. Speaking from the standpoint of outcomes, people will want to know why we believe a free society will achieve maximum human flourishing. So we've, for about a month and a half now, been selling a t-shirt, a hat, stickers, and things on our, on our store, libertarianchristians.com slash store, that say live free and flourish. And it has our website underneath. So if you wore that shirt and someone looks at you and says live free and flourish, they're probably going to ask you what that means. And you're going to have to be able to tell them that flourishing has very bare minimum <laughs> needs people to be free. We individually need to be free. And as a community, we need to be free. We need to be free from coercion from higher institutions of the state. We need to have the freedom to communicate, cooperate, and do things together that bring about the kind of flourishing that we want to see. Now, obviously, this whole conversation in, you know, by somebody coming up to you and wearing your T-shirt needs to talk about well, what does it mean to flourish? And here's the cool thing about flourishing. Not a whole lot of people would define it much differently. 
So you might come across a progressive who defines it as, you know, people are educated, healthcare needs are met, people aren't going into bankruptcy because, you know, they got sick. And on its surface, and we know what they're kind of like, here's the solution, Medicare for all, or here's the solution, you know, free education for everybody up to age 88. We know what they're going for in terms of like the specific programs. But in a sense, do you really... Do you really not want everyone to have what they need in order to live? Do you really not want everyone to go bankrupt, right? So uh, did I say that right in the logic? But you, you understand what I'm saying is that, well, of course we don't want anybody to ever go bankrupt because they got sick or because they have a pre-existing condition or because they had an accident. Of course we want people to be properly educated, properly defined by whatever that depends on, but we want people to be educated to help them flourish, right? And sometimes that means more education than other people getting education. But we don't necessarily disagree about what does a flourishing society look like. So you could even align with the particular outcomes of, say, progressives, but then talk about, well, does what you want to do actually get us there? And then kind of work on well, what does that mean? Well, if people aren't free, how are they going to choose what maximizes their flourishing? Because you're telling them that, you're, like, basically, let's take education, for example. Let's just say education becomes uh, free, quote unquote. Let's say education becomes paid for by the state up until, you know, undergraduate education, right? Well, guess what? What has now happened seems to be that we have now enabled more flourishing because more people can get school uh, where they otherwise couldn't. Okay, except when everyone stands up at a concert because they can't see, now they still are at the same problem. And so what's happening is now you are, I would say, enslaving people for an additional three, four, five years because now they can't even get through life by not competing with the people who were given this other education. So now we're spending these four years where they could be doing something like Isaac Morehouse has is doing an apprenticeship and actually figuring out what it is that makes them tick and what it is that will provide them genuine human flourishing. So that's just one example. Of course, there's a number of angles to go at it. But, you know, you talk to somebody about human flourishing and you might say, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree that those things should happen. I mean, one of the common myths is that if we, you know, we've, we've heard this, I'm sure, many times, is that if, if a libertarian says we're against the Department of Education, the federal Department of Education, we must mean, it must mean that we're just against education in general. Well, that's, that's hogwash. Like, that's just, that's terrible logic, first of all. And second of all, it doesn't even give us the time of day to ask, well, well, how would you educate it? people? How would you make sure that a lot of people are educated? I mean, don't you share the goal that, you know, children who are poor are able to be educated? Yes, we do. We, we do have answers to that. We may not have answers that they're satisfied with, but we do have answers. And if we say it in the right way, they might be more inclined to listen. But we can't, we have to align with some of the goals here. Now, one of the things that LCI did in the past couple of years is we established some core values. Now, we have repeatedly done episodes on our core values, and I'm only going to talk about them in brief here. But we exist to promote human flourishing. And in order to promote our values of human flourishing, we kind of, I believe we could call these like our five pillars of our mission to promote human flourishing. And so in, in terms of how it relates to the topic here in this episode, 
Our core value, number one, is that our allegiance to Christ is a prophetic voice against empire and injustice, okay? So if you read the scriptures, you'll notice that the prophets in the Old Testament were very concerned about the condition of Israel. And it was very much a, here you people of Israel, you are lacking in something. And you need to care about the poor. You need to make sure that the rich are not taking advantage of the poor. You need to make sure that there are just weights and measures. That you need to make sure that you are not diluting your money supply, okay? Or diluting the value of your money. They were also concerned about the empire that existed around them. So there is a huge anti-imperial thread throughout the scripture and then it culminates in Jesus is Lord and Caesar's not in the Gospels, which basically says, we're, we're doing away with all this. Jesus is now king, okay? God elevated him on the cross and showed what it was really like to be king, okay? So our allegiance to Christ is a prophetic voice against empire. I was recently reading a, a thread on, on a, a non-Christian, uh, which is broadly libertarian Facebook group that I'm part of. And somebody has said, well, it doesn't really matter if you're a Christian or libertarian because Christianity has nothing to do with politics. So, of course, it's compatible with libertarianism. Well, I would go one step further. Christianity does have something to do with politics. And in what it means to follow Christ is that you're a prophetic voice against empire. You speak up against how empire, how the state is harming individuals, harming human flourishing. Our second core value has to do with the non-aggression principle. So how can we claim to have genuine human flourishing when there is a violent institution keeping people compliant? Now, I want to I wanna be clear here that while we talk from our principles here at LCI in such a way that makes it sound like we're only including Christian anarchists as Christian libertarians, when that's really not true, okay? So I go back to Frederick Bastiat here on this. Insofar as humans individuals can band together and create institutions together that represent their collective will, I believe that those institutions aren't inherently aggressive or violent. So for instance, let's just assume for the moment, no states at all. Got 20 individuals, maybe they're farmers, maybe we're just living in the same community. And we realize that there's a, there's a threat out there, okay? And no single individual can actually protect against that threat with, with their money. So we pull together our money and we protect against that threat. Okay. All right. So that, is that a state? Is that a government? Well, you, we might quibble over those words a little bit, but there's nothing inherently wrong about, you know, humans coming together to protect themselves and doing things that are for their common good. Now, I also don't believe that it's wrong for those, say, these 20 individuals to band together and create what we might call a universal right within this 20 people to healthcare. okay? So they pull together their resources and they commit to making sure that anybody's emergency needs for health are taken care of, okay? No problem there. So insofar as institutions that represent what we would call the public or the, or the collective represent the actual will of the people, I think there's there's room for that being an institution that doesn't violate the non-aggression principle. Now, clearly, I think we know that the federal government in the United States did not get the consent of individuals living today. They got the consent of people who lived before us and who lived here before us, not necessarily our ancestors, uh, but the people who lived here before us. So, 
Uh, I don't know. Did we have their consent? Is it the same? No, probably not. Now, let's just say that by our choosing not to leave here, we're sort of consenting to the rules of the day. Okay, that's a that's a terrible argument, but let's just assume that that's where it is. How much does the federal government really represent the will of the people? How much does your local government really affect the will of your local people? And how much voice do you actually have in, in either of those two? Obviously, mathematically, we have way more voice in our small community. Let's just take my people of 20, right? Or maybe even a couple thousand. I mean, I grew up in a community where there was literally under 1,000 people in the community. And so any individual's voice was way more more useful. And also, when you bring it down to the local, you have uh, the right to move. Okay, so right now I have the right to move out of Pennsylvania and into another state. If I wanted to move to Texas because I don't want to pay property taxes and I want to move to Texas, or if I want to move to Delaware or shop in Delaware because there's no sales tax, you know, I can choose to do those things. And so insofar as local governments represent the will of the people and also don't keep people from moving, I think there's room for a minarchist position here. So, but then again, I mean, there's a whole other argument, a whole other discussion in a different podcast uh, that we would have to have about that. So let's talk about our core value number three. We're made to live in community uh, in part because this is how human flourishing can happen. We cannot flourish alone. We must flourish together. Now, I know a lot of libertarians might disagree with me on this, but even if you believe, hey, I have the right to be left alone, well, sure. But even other people honoring that, you need them to honor that in order to flourish. If you're going to be the like the stereotypical libertarian hermit, okay, you may. And, and here's the thing, unless you're going to like completely live off the land, you know, in the middle of Idaho, then mm, you really do need to. I mean, markets, I, I think we all agree that markets help people flourish more than like individuals doing it together. The whole like um, independence in every area has been sort of disproven by by economics. Okay, now you might choose to do that for personal reasons. And of course, you can flourish in that way, but it still requires people to leave you alone. Okay, so we need to flourish together. So our core value number three is that we are made to live in community because we believe that God is inherently intrinsically relational uh, within the Trinity. So we are created as human beings to live in community. So the problem is that sin has marred the relationships for which we were created. And what happens is we pit individuals against God. We pit them against one another. And also for the earth, against the earth, we're called to be wise stewards. So in order to right the ship, as it were, we need to affirm the dignity, worth, and rights of the individual as image bearers of God. If we are going to restore authentic Christ-centered community among diverse individuals, we got to start there, okay? And so a healthy society requires healthy individuals. And of course, through voluntary cooperation, respect for freedom, we can join together. We can trade, innovate, create, collaborate, share, build, okay? It doesn't have to be an either or when it comes to individual liberty and the common good. In fact, for the common good, for human flourishing, we need individual liberty. That's kind of the whole point between for live free and flourish is that in order to have something called the common good, in order to have something that we would define as this looks like flourishing here, people need to be free. Another thing is that institutions matter. You know, violent institutions can provide the appearance of flourishing and at best, they can provide the bare bones sense of order, but they themselves cannot create flourishing. Human beings must mutually cooperate to do this, okay? So 
institutions, I kind of talked about institutions by talking about, you know, minarchism a little bit there a couple minutes ago, but the kinds of institutions that we establish are really, really important, okay? And so if we promote human flourishing, they need to be voluntary, peaceful, and non-coercive. I think possibly the best way to describe this is it needs to be decentralized. Now, clearly, we are in favor of decentralized political order. Anarchists would all, would describe something called polycentric legal order. But even decentralized institutions, which I think are becoming more and more possible as we have uh, continued on technologically. The Social Singularity by Max Borders. Uh, we'd, Jason ranked an interview with him on this podcast um, about a year ago. And I would recommend listening to that because I think that book sort of spells out here is how we can have decentralized order without the state. Here's, here's one way. It doesn't address every issue. It's not directly about that. But we are getting to the point where we can get to that sense of order where we don't need the government or the state to do it. But, you know, we still need humans to act peacefully, you know. And I would say this, if there is a role for government, you know, for minarchists, it's to make sure that the fundamental rights of people are, are respected or punished against if they, are, if they are not respected. So, in other words, to promote freedom. Uh, because it's within freedom that human beings are allowed to prosper materially, spiritually, etc. But here's the thing. If that's going to happen, this is our core value number five, we need free markets. We need free markets in order for people to actually flourish. So we believe that Christian theology affirms the essential tenets of free market economics or free market capitalism. So what does that entail? That entails respect for private property, voluntary exchange, the condemnation of theft, and the value of cooperation and service towards achieving common goals, okay? So these are these are pretty natural things to pursue. So I think the fundamental idea here is that where free markets are allowed to flourish, humans are allowed to flourish. And so that's, that's that idea of if there's a role for a government is to make sure that markets are allowed to flourish in ways that protect people's individual rights. So that's a little bit of a summary of what the our theme for 2020 is, which is live free and flourish. Okay, so we want people to ask what this means if they see it on your shirt or your hat or some post that you share. We want people to think about why we as libertarian Christians are in a fight for liberty. Yes, we're fighting for freedom, but freedom from what? Freedom for what? Freedom to flourish, okay? Freedom against violence prohibiting you from doing something peacefully. Now, I'm not going to get into all the arguments, what we're, you know, how to fight for liberty, what we're are to fight for, etc. But I think it's really important to to kind of drill down a little bit on this whole speaking truth to power, this whole prophetic voice. Uh, that's a term that has been um, not given much light uh, when we talk about it on our podcast and in our in our core values. When we talk about speaking truth to power, we need to communicate things like we don't believe in the concentration of power. We don't believe the 538 individuals, let's see, plus 100 plus the president, okay, are the best way to decide what the laws should be for 300 million people, okay? That just sounds a little imbalanced to me. You know, you talk to somebody on the left, they don't think that these five individuals who have as much wealth as the rest of humanity combined um, has. And we say, okay, fine, but why aren't you applying this to the state? 
Now, I'm not saying there's necessarily something wrong. I'm not agreeing with what they're saying about this whole wealth thing because I think they misunderstand the the whole concept there. But why aren't they worried about the people in power? I mean, they actually literally are in control of the military. They're in control of people who have guns. They're in control of a lot of things that could cause problems if we don't obey, right? Um, so we do believe in decentralized power. We also believe in stable property rights. The reason for that is because stable property rights aids in conflict resolution. It aids in cooperation. It gives clear boundaries over who has control over what. We embrace the value of human individuals, okay? We want people individually to be seen as individuals, not as parts of a collective into which people can just say, oh, well, you must be like this because you're in a wheelchair or because you have this skin color or because you're this gender, okay? We're also against forms of initiation of aggression, okay? Some Christians even believe that there is, should be an absence of retaliatory or resistance of aggression, and, I, and those would be Christian pacifists. And I think of any anybody, they should be inclined toward our very, very peace-oriented philosophy of libertarianism. And so we are against those forms of aggression. And of course, we are to work for and actively uh, pray for a world where God's will is done on earth as in heaven, as Jesus uh, taught us to pray. So communicating the principle of human flourishing in a way is a prophetic voice. There are a lot of Christians out there who are filled with these delusions that the state will help us accomplish our goals. Just a book that's coming to mind right now is Kingdom Conspiracy by Scott McKnight. Scott McKnight is, I don't think, a libertarian. He might have some inclinations in that way, but I, you know, I've also seen him post some pretty left-leaning stuff on Facebook. But he, he makes it very, very clear in that book that uh, we don't need the state to accomplish our goals. Okay, so the kingdom itself does not require the government. I mean, it would kind of be anti-gospel to even say we need the government to accomplish the kingdom's goals. So, you know, for us as libertarian and Christians, it means for us to embrace the kingdom of God and its power and its ability to change society and change hearts of people in society. It also means fighting against those things worth being against. So on the one hand, we have tyranny and injustice and institutionalized evil, and those things are to be against. And on the other hand, we have all of the positive aspects of what it means to see human flourishing through human cooperation, through uh, stable property rights, through conflict resolution, through free markets. Those are the things that help maximize flourishing. And so we can do both. And so I think for Christian libertarians, we need to aim to talk about both. So some links for you before we end the episode. If you go to libertarianchristians.com slash mission, you will see our core values and our mission. If you go to libertarianchristians.com slash store, you can buy some swag, uh, the Live Free and Flourish swag. You can get uh, stickers, hats. I think there's a bag on there and some T-shirts. And so we want to promote human flourishing and we want you to know why we're promoting human flourishing. So thank you for listening. Uh, we have a number of episodes in the near future that is going to talk about human flourishing uh, from a variety of standpoints. And so we hope you'll stay tuned for us in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.